Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business... New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. We're very proud in New Orleans that we've become one of the most popular cities in the country to launch an entrepreneurial business. We're on all sorts of top 10 and best of lists. Ironically, these honors have been bestowed on us by magazines and newspapers, including Forbes, Magazine, Inc., and the Wall Street Journal. I say ironically because one of the boldest, biggest, and most controversial entrepreneurial revolutions to occur in New Orleans has also led us to be dubbed by some of these same and many other publications as the only major city in the U.S. without a daily newspaper. The Times-Picayune now publishes a paper three days a week and is focusing its future on its web component, NOLA.com. Whether this is an exciting innovation and an early adoption of the new newspaper business model of the future, or the result of a vital local news outlet being managed by an out-of-town conglomerate with more regard for the bottom line than the community they serve, depends just on who you speak to. You can probably guess which side of that argument my guests on Out to Lunch today are going to be coming down on. David Francis is business manager of NOLA Media Group, the newly formed company that oversees the Times-Picayune and NOLA.com. James O'Byrne is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who is director of state content for NOLA Media Group overseeing sports, statewide politics, and market expansion projects. David Francis, James O'Byrne, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Out to Lunch today. It's thank you for inviting me. David, I'm sure in the past few months you've heard a wide range of both compliments and angry comments about the new direction of the Picayune and NOLA.com. The good part about that is your customers are passionate about your product. The difficult part is that you're in the business of making a profit, but traditionally, as a news organization, you also have a social responsibility to the city. Now, technically, discharging that responsibility isn't changed by providing news online instead of print, but not all of your customers see it that way. In a business sense, you're taking a huge risk, reorienting and re-educating your customers to consume your product in a very new way. Let's start by giving us a status report. Are New Orleanians reading the news online in the same numbers they were reading the paper when it was a daily? I would tell you that uh, we've been pleasantly pleased with what we've seen since October 1st when we launched the three-day-a-week newspaper. Um, We've seen a significant growth on the online side, and I think James will talk to that in a moment. But also, from a circulation standpoint, the passion you talked about for the paper in the 175 years we've been producing it has resulted in actually an increase in our circulation. So those who are concerned about what this may mean to the community in terms of the local content they were used to getting from the Times-Picayune have found themselves embracing us again. So when we issued our first uh, publication after we went through the three-day cycle, we saw people attitudes and behaviors change to the point now that we're very satisfied and they've exceeded our, our targets in terms of circulation. And I think, James, you want to talk a little bit about what's happening on the online we side. We also continue to grow on the, on the digital side of the company as so well. So both sides, are the, the traditional yes. paper circulation up and then NOLA.com, is it, are there like traffic numbers or something like we that? Can, we can actually track um, audience growth um, in real time. So 
we continue to grow audience on the website. We continue to, as David mentioned, grow circulation on the print side. It's been uh, quite a pleasant uh, surprise how well the launch has, has gone heretofore. And I think, I think it's also important to note that uh, this, this uh, re reorientation of our business model does not in any way, shape, or form represent a retreat from great journalism. We continue to do great journalism, we continue to be the watchdogs for this community, and we continue to take our responsibility, our civic responsibility on that front very seriously. What is required to do great journalism is not newsprint and ink. What is required to do great journalism is to have great journalists and give them the tools and the training and the, um, and the necessary support to do their jobs well. And so far, we've seen a lot of success. Well, let me ask on you, on a, on pure business sense, this is what you know, folks talk about in the city, is that you had a newspaper that you got money for because they had to buy the paper, and now you've driven them online to something that's essentially free. Is, is this, how does this model work? Well, it's actually, you know, the, the, the notion that news, people used to pay for news and now it's free is actually not true. What people paid for when they paid for a newspaper was the cost of delivering paper and ink to their door. Um, the cost of fuel, the cost of paper, and the cost of ink, and the labor cost to produce that hard copy of the newspaper and deliver it wherever you happen to be in the metropolitan area is what you paid for in your subscription. News has always been paid for by advertisers. And we know that, uh, we know that the advertising model in the digital space is not as robust as it is in the print space. So we have By to not as out robust, is it, like, is it on a per-page basis? What is it that people measure? The, uh, the, the digital revenue potential compared to the audience you have in the digital space is not as great as the digital revenue, as, as the print revenue you get for, the, for e an equal number of print subscribers. Oh, okay. yep. That's still not true. But what we've seen over the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years in this country are dramatic declines in circulation, dramatic declines in print ad revenue, and a, and a massive shift of your audience into the digital space. So the strategy is built upon the necessity to actually go where your audience is going. Because without audience, you don't have, what, what advertisers buy is engaged audience. And if the engaged audience is moving into the online space, you must move into the online space with them and figure out ways to engage them. Now are they going along with you when you get to a, a car dealer or an advertising agency, do they, they get where you're going? We, we've succeeded in growing revenue as well as audience in the digital space at very high rates for the last four years in the, in the 20 to 25% range. And that trend has continued. So we have seen at, as, you, as you show advertisers how the digital audience behaves and the different uh, products and tools that we have to reach those audiences, we have seen them come into the digital space much more aggressively. The key is that while the print side of advertising from a standpoint of, let's say, 10 years ago has declined by about 65%, there is a significant growth on the online side. Now, that's on a much smaller base. So therefore, for, in order to be effective not only as a business, but also be effective for your advertisers, there's a combination of the print advertising and the online piece that becomes more effective because of the tools that can be offered on the online side that simply cannot be offered on the print side, whether it's search engine maximization and other tools that we have to help our advertisers reach their customer base. So what we're talking about is a transition that reflects what's happening in the marketplace. I mean, if as a business, one of the worst things you could have is have a strategic vision that is not in sync with where your market is going. In our particular case, the market we know is going digitally, online. Our, peak, our peak web audience is actually during the day. It peaks in, in the middle of the day and stays consistent on weekdays. So that means that a tremendous number of people are reading our content online at work. 
if uh, workplaces ever banned reading uh, news websites, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But <laughs> it, it, reflects, it reflects how people actually live their lives. They may glance at the paper as they're rushing around in the morning to get to work. They may check NOLA.com throughout the day. Then we see on weekends, we see that web audience go down, but we see mobile audience go way up because everyone's running around on Saturday and Sunday. They got their phones with them. They're checking the news. They're checking their Twitter feeds. They're checking their NOLA News Twitter feed and seeing what's going on in their city. So people have a very uh, diverse habit of consuming information. The other thing that we see in the audience is they demand the information now. They want to know what we know right now. Mm -hmm. and So we have to figure out ways to get that to them and print is not the way you tell people what we know right now. And James, James is a very good point because <coughs> we're talking about now that communication and, and what we're finding that as he says, people want it when they want it and they want it where they want it. And so they may glance at the paper in the morning, but stories that were written that night before are being updated throughout the day. So we're trying to create this dialogue with, a pub with the public out here. And we're competing against not simply other newspapers, but other media also. TV stations, radio stations, all of them are developing their websites and trying to provide you with breaking news. So it's important that we create this ongoing dialogue. And that's why, with our organization being the largest news gathering organization, in, probably in the state, quite frankly, um, it'd be tough to compete against us, but we have to understand how do we communicate and communicate effectively to people who are looking for us in the, uh, through the various platforms. You know, when James had mentioned looking at the internet at work, I was, remember I got saw a great headline in theonion.com, you know, the fake news story, mm -hmm. thing, and it was like, U.S. internet goes down, U.S. productivity rises 25%, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't have any <laughs> official comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> now, James, you come at this brave new world from the standpoint of a journalist. You've been with the Times-Picayune for more than 30 years, and you've seen some changes, but obviously nothing of this magnitude. From the point of view of someone who's digging for news, the threat or promise that something someone says is going to be in the newspaper, on TV or NPR, sounds more serious than it's going to be on the Internet. Um, maybe because space on TV, radio, and, and the newspaper is limited, and the Internet is filled with an infinite amount of every piece of information under the sun. As a journalist, uh, does the medium make a difference? To me, it does not, and I know that, uh, you know, I, I have the same nostalgic feelings about the newspaper that, that a lot of people in New Orleans have. I still like to go down to the press room. We're one of the few newspapers in America that has our press facility in the same facility as our newsroom. So you can actually go down and watch the papers run, and I love to do that. There are these, these giant romantic machines that crank out these newspapers, and you, you get this really amazing feeling about information going directly from your your brain into the hands of readers all over the city. But one of the things in, in running NOLA.com for four years before we launched the new company that I, that I learned is that the web is equally powerful in transmitting information to people. I don't think any, anyone we've, uh, we've exposed in our reporting would say that the, uh, the web, having that information on the web was less impactful to them. Um, I, I think if you asked... Uh, you ask Mr. Letton's assistant U.S. attorneys uh, whether the web can have an impact on their uh, in, in the news, then they might have a different view than good example than the view that you espouse that some people have. But, but I, I, the ability to reach an audience, and, and more importantly to me, what the new audience demands in the, in the new in the digital world is is participation. So the ability to engage that audience in a conversation, to bring them into the conversation, to welcome them, and to listen to what they have to say, and to participate in, in a dialogue with them is extraordinarily powerful. And it's what the digital audience insists upon. It's different fundamentally from print, because it's harder to interact with print, and less immediate. So 
it's a very powerful means of, of both transmitting news and getting reaction to that news. And I've got to, you know, for the last couple of weeks I've been getting ready for having you two guys on the show and something really interesting happened during that two weeks and that is Newsweek decided to stop physically printing. Uh, do, you, do you think uh, you're on the front end of something here? We're definitely on the front end of something. If you look at the trend lines for print seven day a week American newspaper journalism, it's hard to project a long-term future for that. So every newspaper company in America to some degree has to grapple with what changes they're going to make in their business model for their long-term survival or choose not to have long-term survival and what changes they're going to make for short-term survival. So every, I think, that, I think that we've come to realize as an industry that incremental change is not going to get us where we need to be. So part of the challenge, what we hear from other publishers and editors around the country privately is, good luck, we hope you make it. We, we want someone to show us a way out of this constant mode of decline. And if your, if your business model is the one that shows the way, then we're all going to follow. Now, let me ask you, maybe to David, were you surprised when the advocate decided to make a push in New Orleans or... How do you feel about all that? Uh, I'm not surprised. I think what they looked at it and it, says what it said was, if people want a seven-day-a-week uh, newspaper, then we can be their choice. Um, it represents the old model. And while we thought that uh, we, there is a definite need in this marketplace for content, uh, we think the content, though, can be consumed in multiple platforms, not just simply uh, on newsprint. And we know that you know, roughly 30% of the market, outside of the older demographic, quite frankly, was not going to be inclined to move gracefully or easily onto the web. Uh, it would take some training. It would take some, uh, I think, some innovation to move them there. And there will be a percentage of them that will move, but there will be many of them who will not. And so there will be an opportunity for the advocate, I think, to fill a, a certain gap. The question is whether or not that's economically viable on the short-term and on a long-term basis. Again, it's, when you look at all the statistics about the way content is being consumed, if you, for instance, you mentioned your, your, your son, for example, where does he get his news from? It comes from Twitter, does it come from YouTube? I mean, that's the market. And, and, and just be, when these individuals get a little bit older, when they have a mortgage, that does not mean now they're going to turn back to a newspaper. They're going to go to the trusted sources that they have been using. So for us, we want to be their trusted source as they get older. And People that's like the to we characterize take. The, uh, the, the advocate as, uh, and the Times-Picayune as a newspaper war. To me, it's more a clash of philosophy because the advocate will tell you, in their own words, that they have a print-first philosophy. We have a digital-first philosophy. Mm -hmm. So philosophically, we believe the future is in digital and we're pushing into that realm much more aggressively and much more quickly than they are. They believe that while the, the, the future may be digital, they think the present is print and that's the strategy that they're pursuing in New Orleans. And, um, and we just sort of have a fundamental disagreement, but the market will certainly will certainly decide. Right. And, and the other thing I was thinking about, because I've been telling people that you guys are going to be on the show, one question that came up was, is it hard to balance this, um, uh, the, the profit motive with what you represent to the community and such? And, and the reason that this came up is because they, some people were comparing the newspaper to a hospital, for instance. Same kind of thing, a for-profit hospital, but you're responsible for you know, the well-being of the community. Is, is there a happy medium there? Well, I think you've got to understand that People value the newspaper because of what it represents to them. It's sort of the, the watchdog of, of governmental activity. 
But it requires us to pay uh, utility bill, it requires us to pay our reporters, it requires us to pay for newsprint that we buy from outside vendors. So this is a business, it requires us to make money. Um, and if you don't make money, then you don't have an entity out here that can do the work that a newspaper does and does so well. So we do have an obligation to our shareholders and to our employees to make sure that we can meet our obligations and at the same time provide the community what they deserve, which is, which is great journalism. You know, NOLA Media gets a, I guess gets a tax break on this new digital media uh, structured structure. Is that part of, or is that a... There were some tax breaks out uh, that were offered in terms of that in, uh, environment, but I'm not sure exactly what the tax breaks okay. are associated with it. And this might be more of a David question, uh, but once again, the business model. As a newspaper, you had a monopoly, and uh, the moat around that monopoly was sort of the buried entry of you know somebody coming up with a new newspaper and all, all this required for that. But in the Internet, you don't have a monopoly. You're competing against a lot of different folks, and people seem to be able to get in pretty easily. Does that scare you, or...? No, I think it doesn't scare us, but it does. We have to recognize the fact, though, that if we don't, if we didn't react and start to own that sort of digital space when it comes down to local news, local information, then we would indeed find ourselves victim to uh, someone else coming into the market and taking over that space. So for us, the credibility, which is key, the credibility of the newspaper backing the website gives us a distinct advantage. So when you go to NOLA.com... somebody who's just a website. Exactly, okay. someone who's just a website. So when you go to NOLA.com, you know it's being supported by the history and the reputation of the Times Picayune, that content. So that's a trusted, that's trusted content. And it makes a big difference to our readers and to our advertisers. It's, a, it's an interesting observation to refer to the newspaper as a monopoly in the sense that we didn't feel like, it hasn't felt like we were a monopoly the last 10 years okay. when all of these digital outlets were taking away our audience. Mm -hmm. So you say we're, now that we're in the internet space, we have to compete. We were, we were competing yeah. with those internet um, options for people for years and years and years before we launched the new company. They are the challenge that we have as our audience moves into the digital space. If we're going to compete in that digital space, we're going to have to go there with them. And a lot of people were talking about, you know, when you changed the model and you went to three days a week and such, um, one of the things that was kind of the, the buzz around the community was what were the other options that you were thinking about? Were there other, you know, for instance, in some cities they... Uh, uh, they give away the newspaper, like a, like a gambit, for instance, on a weekly. What were kind of the other things that you were throwing around? Well, I guess you could look at it this way. It's like death by a thousand cuts. We were going through the process of furloughs for employees, cutting back staff. I think we've said uh, in the past 10 years, almost 46,000 jobs were lost in the newspaper industry, journalism jobs. So you just couldn't continue to make these little small nuances and changes within your organization. You had to have a radical change. And that's what this represents, a radical change. Because we're thinking about not the next five years again. We're thinking about long term. Where do we want to be? What are who are we trying to serve in the process? And those people that we're trying to serve, the advertisers and the consumers, where are they consuming the content that we produce? And that's really what we're trying to do at this point. So it wasn't about us continuing to try to marginalize a product. We wanted to create a product that people would we want to make sure that we, we had a sustained product that people would utilize on a long-term basis and grow old with. And that's why we made the change here. We were managing in an environment of decline every year for years and years, and this, this transformation is designed to get us into a mode where we're growing again. Mm -hmm. and it's critical that we grow in order to continue to deliver the quality journalism that the community expects. So uh, the options, I think, for, for us and for 
a lot of American newspapers are not uh, not numerous right now um, because of the the digital transformation. This is one, you know the the internet is one of the most disruptive things to happen in society in, in, in hundreds and hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. It has upended entire businesses, movie business, the entertainment business, the music business. It's an incredibly disruptive force. It is the same for American newspapers, and we will have to, we will have to adapt in significant and dramatic ways, not in small and incremental ways, if we're going to have a long-term future. And that's what we're, we're trying to achieve here, is can we find a long-term future for sustainable, professionally viable, profitable journalism. I get the feeling from your earlier comments that there are newspapers, big newspapers in the country that are sort of looking over your shoulders saying, let me know how this goes. That's Guarantee exactly it. it. Guarantee you Guarantee that. It. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wanted to compliment you. I was at the Hornets game last night, and you guys sponsored the Limbo Contest. <laughs> and it was very, it was very good. It was, I don't know how the woman does it, really. It's amazing. I, it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's a, uh -huh. they, uh, <laughs> David Francis James O'Byrne, in the long and stormy history of New Orleans, I don't think there's ever been another occasion when a revamped business plan has caused such a sensation as you've brought about with the changes of the Times-Picayune, it, it says a lot about the high regard with which the New Orleanians hold your newspaper and the importance of your role in the city. Uh, these changes are a big deal economically, financially, socially, and as a model for the future of news gathering worldwide. We look forward to seeing where this new path takes us, and uh, thanks for joining me on uh, Out to Lunch today. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my guests today on Out to Lunch have been David Francis, business manager of NOLA Media Group, and James O'Byrne, NOLA Media Group's director of state content. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, and you can get in touch with us and sign up for our mailing list at itsneworleans.com, and you can follow us on Twitter. We're at It's New Orleans. To listen to past shows or get this show as a podcast, go to wwno.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. Until we meet again around the table here at Commander's Palace, I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.